Sola Travelers. Welcome back to episode five of the Sola Traveler podcast, a place for the sedentary nomad and aventurera in all of us to share tips and stories about safe, joyful Sola travel. I'm Ricky Subel, and today I just want to make a quick announcement. As a reminder, you can follow me on Instagram at the underscore sola underscore traveler and get updates on new episodes as well as find out when my new website thesolatraveler.com will be live. Um, I'm super excited about the website. There's going to be city guides and podcast transcripts um, hopefully in multiple languages uh, as well as offers from partners and all sorts of fun tips for solo travelers. So today, today's episode is, is about breaking through the language barrier. Um, I don't know if you know this already, but I'm a polyglot. I speak probably six languages, five of which I'd say fluently. Uh, and I have to say, even with all of that under my belt, um, I've definitely been blindsided before when traveling alone and uh, having to go to a place where I don't speak the language. Um, and I see it in people's faces that they've been conditioned to believe that they cannot speak a language. Um, <laughs> my coworker actually just brought this up. She's she's going to Spain. And uh, she was like, what do you think? Like, do you think they'll be angry if I don't speak Catalan? And, you know, just trying to deal with... And honestly, you do speak a language. You speak human. And I know that might sound overly optimistic, but language is more than just speaking. It's being intentional. So I was thinking about the author Samuel Beckett, how he changed from writing in English to writing in French, um, just to see how much he could simplify his communication, uh, right? So he wanted to get away from his mother tongue, which was English, and he said it somehow made it easier to communicate his thoughts when he changed over to French, which seems odd, um, but if you think about it, the, the French language in this situation offered greater clarity and it forced him to think more fundamentally um, to write with greater economy. Uh, there's a, this is, these are some quotes from a New York Times article about when Beckett chose to move over to French. And I can understand that because just imagine um, when you go somewhere and you don't speak the language, you're going to be stripped down to the bare bones of your cognition and you're actually going to be forced to think before you speak, which I think is a nice exercise for all of us. So there's one positive already, like, hey, you don't know, that's fine. Let's get simple, right? Let's simplify. And and when I say speak human, I think, what about gesticulation? So meaning using gestures, your hands, your face, your your body, and, and energy. What about how you come into a room? Are you being intentional about how you move through space? How you let someone walk by you? How you sit down in a restaurant and and greet someone? You know, that's all part of it too. And I was thinking about my favorite uh, nerdy quote from film theory from uh, Robert Bresson, 
who was the director, French director of Oazard Balthazar, like um, basically a film about a girl and a donkey where there can't be more than a few lines of, uh, of um, how do you call it, uh, dialogue, because a donkey doesn't speak, right? And Bresson said, be sure to have exhausted all that is communicated through immobility and silence. And it just goes to show you that much of what we think we're communicating on a daily basis has nothing to do with words, but rather it's a type of performance you incarnate uh, in your new role as a bumbling, slow-speaking world sola traveler. <laughs> and and that can be fun too, you know? I mean, why else would people film their friends when they're drunk? Like, It's hilarious to watch someone making a fool of themselves. And we should embrace that as much as we embrace like the fluent polyglot. Uh, trying is how you get to be fluent. You don't speak overnight. Now, of course, the quotes that I just mentioned come from cinematic and literary theory. But if you think about it, life isn't that much different. Just watch yourself and the people around you doing the most mundane tasks. There's not a lot of words being spoken outside of, hey, how's it going? Can I get you a coffee? You want milk? You want sugar? Or, hey, you know, you have a reservation? Or how many people? Or, hey, do you need uh, breath mints? I mean, when you travel, it's like there's a reason that most of the phrase guides have the same thing because the language that we use on a daily basis and in daily interaction is not that interesting, right? It gets interesting when you start looking for your people, meaning just like in your native language, when you start looking for people who understand you, that's where communication becomes complicated because wanting to be understood, wanting to connect, um, goes much deeper than the language you speak. It also has to do with common interests and values and the worldview. So just keep that in mind. I mean, of course, we have to plan for some complex logistics at times when we travel, but there are ways around them today. And I'll go into some tips for how to do that in advance and, and take the pressure off your linguistic skills. But most importantly, If you're down to learn a new language before you travel, take nothing else from this podcast other than mindset is everything. I mean, there are books, applications, and ways on the ground that can help. But before you even get started with those tools, you got to get your head straight. And that's why I'm, I'm really a huge fan of understanding First and foremost, what you'd like to accomplish. So I think the education model for language, why it doesn't work, or we'd all have, everyone would be bilingual, right? I mean, supposedly in the US, you're supposed to take a foreign, quote unquote, foreign language. Um, but I don't have a lot of acquaintances in the US who are bilingual. So I think what happens is the goal isn't clear for people. One, because it's based on a standardized sort of testing system. You must do this to pass this test, not necessarily on the personal goals of that person, which makes sense because uh, it would be a nightmare. 
you can't have like everyone deciding what their goal means for them and then standardize mass education, mass public education. But imagine if I said to you, I learned French because I love French film and I was really curious to know what the French films meant. I wanted to watch them and not have to look at the subtitles. So for me, a goal was to be able to take a film and understand it. The same film, my one of my favorite films. And I did the same thing with one of my favorite French songs. Um, my goal was to be able to take that French song and over time evolve my understanding of it to eventually be able to be completely fluent when I listen to that song, not have to look up the, the text. So those for me are personal goals. Um, in someone's case for travel, it'd be like, I want to go to Italy and I want to be able to absolutely understand everything that my guide says when they're walking me through Florence uh, without translation. Like, that's a lofty goal. And it's a good one to have. Because what does it mean? If your goal is, I want to be able to understand a guide in Italian, that gives you something to look forward to. And know that, hopefully know that either you'll get it right the first time, you go to Italy and you've studied and you're ready, and or it's going to take multiple trips to get to that point, but you're not scared to keep going at it. So I think that's uh, the big point too, is like, I don't see language acquisition as a one and done. I think that's again, where it gets boring for students and where we don't see progress and we don't see acquisition. And actually we see a lot of uh, flatlining in people's learning because they didn't pass the test in high school. And so they think, well, I'm just not good at it. We have to undo that voice in your head that's saying you're not good at languages. That's ridiculous. Uh, you may not have been a great test taker in the methodology uh, that was presented to you in high school, but that doesn't mean you're not able to communicate in a new language. It's very different. And yes, it takes time. And yes, it will be frustrating and require multiple trips to the place where you're trying, uh, where the language which you're trying to acquire is spoken. Not impossible. A thousand percent possible. <laughs> and yes, it takes time. And as I told my my same um, my same colleague, like, yes, uh, you will stumble and yes, you will feel stupid. And I feel stupid all the time because now I speak multiple languages and that means I'm making errors in all of them every day. And I just say, whatever. Like, I've got to the point in my confidence where I say, whatever. At least I'm trying. Because the people who correct me, and there will always be people who correct you and make fun. I always ask them, sorry, how many languages do you speak? I mean, and, and this is in all fairness, most of them will only speak one. Because if you've never had to learn another one, you don't have the same level of compassion uh, as someone who speaks multiple and knows what that feeling is to just be completely humbled by this feat that is communication. 
across cultures, across language. So yes, it's hard. No, it's not impossible. Yes, you should define your personal goal. Uh, that will be your driving force, your North Star for your practice. Knowing full well that it is iterative, knowing full well that you will probably have to sacrifice something you do now in your current language to get there. So if you know you have a trip coming up in three months, think about maybe instead of going on Facebook uh, for two hours a day or whatever, you know, Netflix, understand that you will be compromising, like you will be replacing those two hours of uh, time spent on social platforms or time spent on Netflix with language learning. That's normal. It doesn't happen because you breathe in some like secret potion and now you're a linguist. Like it does take a lot of work. I stopped watching TV for like now over 15 years, I think, like 14 years now. And I had no social media for a long time. And I have notebooks piled upon notebooks of like words that I was studying and practicing and text that I would take. And I'd read the news and I changed my phone to different languages and all my different applications to different languages. Like anything I could do, I just, I knew that immersion was the best way to do it. So it doesn't matter how much time you have before your trip, if you're serious, just know that that is the level of commitment that I think you should expect to give uh, some sort of acquisition of a new language. And of course, there are tools, you know, um, like there are amazing tools that help you in the same way to learn that kids learn. So Berlitz, which is one of the way before Duolingo, way before Rosetta Stone. Berlitz was this amazing institution. Um, they had actual physical uh, locations, but they also have these books that were written in like the 40s and 50s called self-teachers for most of the major languages. And they cost, I think, 7 to $15 on Amazon, probably used, Um and I think in terms of how we really acquire language, they're some of the best tools out there. And you can complement those with Duolingo. I think you can't only use Duolingo, though. I think Duolingo is not enough. It's super gamified, um, which is great. And I think you need a pen to paper method. I think it's very much a visual experience in a tangible visual way with language and, and, and hearing something is great seeing it is great um and then just old-fashioned like writing things down in a notebook not too complicated but you will have to study and I also think it's important to remember it's not all about the language you know, so much communication is nonverbal. So something important to look at before you go are, are gestures. Um, wherever you're going, you know, if, if you Google like common gestures in X place, um, it's very important because there are gestures, for example, in, middle, in the Middle East 
that are rude uh, for a European to use. So in Europe, you can do certain things that mean vulgar things in in uh, the Middle East and vice versa. And in Argentina, like the exact same gesticulation means something completely different in, in Israel. And in Mexico, uh, I can do a little weird thing with my finger. <laughs> that means I agree with you, which people might find like kind of perverse in the US, honestly. <laughs> so those nonverbal communication cues are big as well. And they shouldn't be overwhelming, but they can kind of be fun because if you just learn a few of those, you already feel like you get the culture, you got some tricks up your sleeve and and you can show people around you that you were inter so interested or interested enough before your trip to learn about their culture that you looked at those very nuanced uh, location-specific indicators of communication that are gestures. The other thing, and this is what I was talking about before, is that communication, doesn't matter if it's your native language or not, is very much an act of finding values and energies. So meeting people, you know, it's not easy in your own language. It, it's surprising it would be easy in another language. Or don't be surprised if you find it hard to connect with people. They, you know, just because you're traveling doesn't mean you'll connect with people. However, I think what mostly happens is that because you're traveling, you're probably more open and because there's a language barrier, you're more curious. And I think you will end up meeting people uh, with whom you can have some great conversations um, who may be interested in learning your language. Um, and, you know, never be afraid to say something like, hey, do you mind if if we communicate in your language? Um, and if you want to practice, like maybe we can switch I think being very clear about that from the get-go in a new conversation with someone is clarifying and helpful and everyone gets out of it what they need. And if they don't have time, let them tell you and then you won't feel like you're at a disadvantage because you're making them late for something, right? Be clear and that's great. Um, and you can learn how to ask that phrase in their language very nicely, politely and and give them the option too, to opt out. <laughs> um, definitely some safety tips I think are important because if you're not quite there, the place where you feel comfortable, having offline versions of your translation and map apps are really important. Um, you know, check on data use and uh, all those things before you travel for your phone and also make sure to download the the dictionaries um, on your phone in the various apps like like Google Translator or Word Reference um, which will help you to be able to use the app uh, without internet connection. And then just remember like planning ahead your logistics is completely fine. Make sure that the big things you know how to access in your native language. So you relieve the stress. So transportation, um, planning with, a, you know, ride hailing apps, like all those things can be used and check out in your 
in your in your destination what the ride hailing services are because they may not have you know uber they may not have dd they may not have the things that you're used to at home so it's super important to know what those are and have them ready to go on your phone and see if there's a version of them that you can get in your native language because there are some things for security as women we just really can't uh we can't risk and i'd say that's a big one um and honestly there are some luxurious ways to learn as you go you can get a translator um you can get a translator for just a few outings that you're going to take and if you really want to you can get a translator who speaks both your language and the local language um so perhaps you can even have a guided tour um with a linguistic component which i think is phenomenal opportunity you know take someone for a few hours with you get the lay of the land see how they speak to people in a cafe see how they speak to people in public transportation and kind of understand like how the locals speak because sometimes i think we get in our heads okay i learned this in a book but it's not really how they say it in real life right don't don't feel bad getting someone to walk with you for a little while um who can explain to you contextually the way to speak in the new environment where you are even if it's just a few hours it's like when you go on those city guide tours like you're just getting the lay of the land you're getting a feel it's just a few hours you don't have to be trapped within that mode of travel uh, if that's not for you however if you like it there's nothing wrong with traveling with a guide and and making it a very educative uh, educational trip as well right so honestly I think these are some really important tips. I'll post them again in uh, my Instagram, the underscore sola underscore traveler, and um, on the website eventually on the solatraveler.com. Um, I have some articles also about how to teach yourself new languages. And really, bottom line, go for it. You cannot break anything. <laughs> There is no way you can break anything. So go for it. Just learn the one the words to completely avoid, uh, the gestures to completely avoid, and the rest, you know, so you'll have a few people laugh at you. I think there are worse things in the world um, for all the benefits you gain for taking the risk of learning a new language. Uh, all the best to you all. Au revoir.